An important mechanism of homeostasis is the maintenance of the body's fluid and electrolyte balance. This mechanism primarily involves the kidneys, which regulate water fluid volume and composition. The skin and lungs also contribute to this balance to a much lesser degree. Total body water constitutes 55 to 60% of the body weight in young men and 45 to 50% in women due to the higher adipose content. The fluid compartments of the body include the intracellular fluid and the extracellular fluids. The extracellular fluids consist of the interstitial fluid, the plasma, and the transcellular fluids, which include the cerebral spinal fluid, the intraocular fluid, and fluids in the serous membranes, gastrointestinal tract, respiratory tract, and urinary tissues. Variance of the composition occurs with age, body mass, and gender. Men generally have a slightly higher total body water than women because of lean body mass. Because older adults tend to have a smaller total body of water and infants generally will have a larger total body of water. These groups are more susceptible to fluid-related problems. Older adults have a total body water approximately of 45 to 55%, and infants have a total body water of 70 to 80%. Water is the main component of body fluids and serves many function in the normal cellular function and maintenance of homostasis. It provides a medium for chemical reactions in the cells, the transport of nutrients, electrolytes, and oxygen to the cells, and the transport of waste products away from the cells. Water is also essential for temperature control, serves as an insulator, and acts as a lubricant. Water and electrolyte movement between the intracellular fluid and extracellular fluid compartments is controlled by several processes. Water movement is driven by hydrostatic and osmotic pressures that exist in the compartments. Hydrostatic pressure is the force within a fluid compartment that pushes water out of the vasculature into the tissues in areas of high vascular pressure and from tissues into the vasculature in areas of high interstitial pressure. Also referred to as filtration, this process requires the use of a biologic membrane between the compartments. Osmotic pressure allows for movement of water across a semipermeal membrane from an area of lower solute concentration to an area of higher solute concentration. Osmosis will stop when the concentration is equal on both sides of the membrane or when the hydrostatic pressure has equalized. Hydrostatic pressure is the force of the fluid volume against a membrane, while osmotic pressure is related to the concentrations on either side of a membrane, pulling water towards the region of greater concentration. Electrolyte movement is based on the concentration of the electrolyte, moving towards the area of lower concentration and the electrical charge gradient, moving to maintain an intracellular and extracellular equilibrium of electrolytes and charge. This movement involves diffusion, facilitated diffusion, or active transport. The diffusion of electrolyte or molecules occurs as an attempt is made to equalize concentrations on both sides of a semipermeable membrane without energy requirement. Solutes diffuse from an area of higher concentration to an area of lower concentration of that solute. Facilitated diffusion moves solutes from areas of a higher concentration to areas of lower concentration to equalize con 
concentration that requires the use of carrier molecules to facilitate the movement of the molecule. Active transportation requires the use of energy to move a solute against the concentration gradient to maintain a higher concentration of one molecule electrolyte on one side of a membrane. The sodium-potassium pump is an example of this type of transport. Normal fluid balance in the adult is the result of a balance of the intake of approximately 2,500 milliliters fluid and output of approximately 2,500 milliliters. The regulation of water balance involves the presence of hormones regulated by osmoreceptors in various areas of the body, as well as the functioning of the renal and gastrointestinal systems. A sensed state of fluid volume deficit or high serum osmolarity stimul stimulates the release of antidiuretic hormone, ADH, from the posterior pituitary gland and the sense of thirst. In response, the patient will drink water and the presence of the antidiuretic hormone will enhance renal absorption of water in the distal and collecting tubules. If receptor sites in the kidneys do not respond appropriately to the presence of the antidiuretic hormone, excessive water loss will occur as experienced with the disease processes of diabetes insipidus. Similarly, if excessive antidiuretic hormone is released, water retention will occur as experienced with the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone hypersecretion, or SIADH. Allodosterone, a mineral corticoid secreted by the adrenal cortex, increases sodium retention in the kidneys and with these levels, water will be drawn in. If the body's fluid volume increases, the increased sodium levels and increased volume will stimulate the cardiomyocytes to release ANP and BNP, which block the release of the antidiuretic hormone and aldosterone and cause diuresis resulting in the excretion of sodium and water. The renal system regulates fluid and electrolyte balance through adjustments in the concentration of electrolytes and the volume of water as it is filtered in the tubules. The gastrointestinal system also facilitates a balance of water and electrolytes in the body, oral intake, secretion, and reabsorption of gastric fluids, and the production and elimination of feces are a component of fluid and electrolyte balance. The insensible water loss of approximately 900 milliliters a day through the lungs and skin contributes contributes to this balance as well. Fluid volume and electrolyte replacement and balance between intercellular space and extracellular space can be accomplished through oral replacement or through the use of intravenous fluids. Commonly used crystalloids can be classified as three types. Isotonic solutions are solutions that contain electrolyte concentrations similar to the intracellular fluid and expand only extracellular fluid volume. Hypotonic solutions contain a lower concentration of electrolytes than the intracellular fluids and a higher concentration of water. These solutions typically will be used to increase intracellular fluids in dehydration. Hypertonic solution contain a higher electrolyte concentration than the intracellular fluids and will pull fluids from the tissues and cells into the extracellular space. This type of solution can be used to increase circulating volume, increase cardiac output, and decrease cellular edema. The composition of common uh, crystalloid solutions are important to know. Isotonic solutions include normal saline, D5W, 
lactate ringers, and plasma. A hypotonic solution would be half normal saline. Hypertonic solutions are normal saline with potassium 20, D5 with saline, D5 half saline, and D5 and lactate ringers. Hypovolemia is defined as being decreased circulating volume because of fluid or blood loss from the extracellular space. The signs and symptoms include increased heart rate with a thready pulse, decreased blood pressure and pulse postural hypotension, increased respiratory rate and depth, lethargy, thirst, decreased renal output and increased specific gravity of urine, dry scaly skin with poor skin turgor, cool, clammy, and pale skin, dry mucous membranes and tongue, decreased GI motility and constipation, obvious bleeding. When urine output is decreased to less than 25 milliliters an hour, or if there's a loss of 20% of the circulating volume, these are indications of hypovolemic shock. The average intravascular volume is three and a half liters. Of this, 15% is in, in, arter in arterial circulation, which is approximately 700 milliliters, and this is the effective circulating volume. Hypovolemia can be caused by inadequate fluid intake increase in sensible fluid losses such as fever or excessive perspiration, GI losses such as diarrhea, vomiting, nasogastric su suctioning, colostomy leakage, or fistula drainage, hemorrhaging, diabetes insipidus, osmotic diuresis, excessive diuretic use, fluids that have leaked from the intravascular space to the interstitial space as seen as peripheral edema, burns, and ascites, which can cause relative hypovolemia, trauma, clotting disorders, blood loss from internal sources, such as GI bleeding, hemorrhoids, and ruptured vascular sources. Prevention and screening. You have discussed the importance of maintaining adequate hydration, particularly during periods of exercise, fever, or hot weather. Encourage use of sports or electrolyte balanced drinks to replace water and electrolyte loss. Encourage oral fluid intake in older adults because sensation of thirst decreases with aging. Maintain adequate hydration in patients who cannot care for themselves, such as those with altered level of consciousness or being debilitated. Assure adequate hydration in patients with severe vomiting, diarrhea, presence of nasogastric suctioning, open wounds, or excessive urine output. Ensure accurate monitoring of INO. Relevant laboratory findings often include increased bun and creatinine, increased H and H, increased urine-specific gravity and osmolality, increased potassium, increased lactate, decreased pH, decreased O2, and increased CO2. Non-pharmacologic treatment includes increasing oral intake when possible, monitoring the IV infusion of fluids and blood products, treating the cause of fluid loss, maintaining the mucous membrane integrity, preventing complications of possible dysrhythmias, altered levels of consciousness, and poor skin turgor, monitor intake and output and daily weights, increase accessibility of oral fluids, especially in older adults and the debilitated, the use of modified Trendelenburg position, which is having the head level and the legs elevated. Pharmacological treatment 
focuses on IV infusion of fluids and blood products as ordered and the use of medications that will treat the cause of the fluid loss, such as um, anti-diarrhea medications to stop diarrhea or antiemetics to stop nausea and vomiting. Special considerations is that the close monitoring IV infusions of large quantities of fluid and blood products in patients with comorbidities affecting the cardiac, neurologic, or renal systems is essential to avoid the complications of pulmonary edema and the sudden increase in cardiac workload. The expected outcome is that fluid volume status will return to normal without the disturbance of electrolyte balance and that the underlying cause will be addressed and resolved. Potential complications include decreased cardiac output and poor perfusion of tissues, and a severe complication would be hypovolemic shock, which can lead to acute respiratory distress syndrome, acute tubular necrosis, disseminated intravascular coagulation, hyperorgan dysfunction syndrome, and in worst case scenario, it can cause death. Total body water is estimated to be 50 to 60% of body weight, varying with age, gender, and race, and resides in three main fluid compartments of the body. The bulk of the total body water, or about 67%, is combined intracellularly. The remaining 33% is distributed between the two subcompartments of the extracellular space, the interstitial space making 25% and the intravascular space making about 8%. Thus, a 70-kilogram man total body water is approximately 42 liters, out of which 28 liters is within the extracellular compartment, with 10.5 liters in the interstitial compartment and 3.5 liters in the intravascular compartment. Another subcategory of the extracellular fluid is the transcellular fluid that resides in the pleural, pericardial, peritoneal, synovial, ocular, and cerebrospinal spaces but this is a small portion of the fluid, total, total body fluid. Fluid input and output from the body proceeds via the intravascular compartment. Intravascular and interstitial compartments are separated solely by highly permeable capillary membranes. Hence, their ionic composition is almost identical. The major cation is sodium, and the major anions are chloride and bicarbonate in the extracellular fluid. In contrast, the major cation is in the intracellular fluid is potassium, and the major anions are inorganic phosphates. Sodium chloride is typically confined into the extracellular compartment by virtue of the sodium-potassium pump anchored in the cell membranes, which pump sodium out and potassium into the cells. This constant active transport of sodium potassium across the cell membrane makes the extracellular fluid rich in sodium and the intracellular fluid rich in potassium. Consequently, the osmolality of the extracellular fluid is largely dependent on sodium and chloride, whereas the osmolality of the intracellular fluid is derived from potassium along with other intracellular osmols. Water moves freely between all fluid compartments through highly water permeable cell membranes. Therefore, the osmolality of the plasma is equal to the osmolality of the other compartments. Of the total plasma volume, 85% is in venous circulation and 15% is in arterial circulation. 
It is this small arterial volume, approximately 700 milliliters, that constitutes the effective circulating volume, which is responsible for tissue perfusion and regulation of the body's salt and water balance. Considering the differing permeabilities of the membranes that separate fluid compartments in the body, administration of different IV fluids will result in differing distribution among these compartments. Since water flows freely between all three compartments, infusion of one liter a 5% dextrose water, or D5W, will lead to an increase in the volume of the intracellular compartment of approximately 670 mLs, or 67% of one liter. That of the interstitial compartment of 250 mLs, or 25% of one liter, and, and that of the intravascular compartment of 80 mLs, or about 8% of one liter. On the other hand, interfusion of one liter of normal saline, 0.9% uh, saline, will add approximately 75 mLs to the interstitial space and 250 mLs to the intravascular space due to the inhibition of sodium entry into the cell by the aforementioned sodium-potassium pump located in the cell membranes. Though the water content of both D5W and normal saline solutions is equal, much more fluid will reside in the intravascular space if given in the form of normal saline, as none enters the intracellular space. Hence, normal saline is preferred over D5W if the aim is to correct intravascular volume depletion. Conversely, if the aim is to correct dehydration or pure water loss, then a fluid that, that flows to all compartments, such as D5W, is the preferred solution. Giving D5W is equivalent to giving free water because glucose is rapidly metabolized. Dehydration and volume depletion are two distinct clinical syndromes that can develop secondary to excess body fluid losses. Dehydration, which means pure water loss, uh, water loss of water reduces the distribution space of sodium, thereby distributing the sodium and water ratio, leading to hypernatremia and hypertoxicity. Because cell membranes are firmly, freely permeable to water, this results in osmotic movement of water from the large intracellular compartment to the extracellular compartment. There is a contraction of all body water compartments proportional to their share of total body water. Since the intracellular compartment is the largest reservoir of body water, it suffers the largest def water deficit. For instance, for each liter of water lost from the body, the intracellular compartment contributes 670 mLs. In contrast, the intravascular compartment suffers a loss of only 80 mLs. Hence, pure water loss rarely compromises the effect circulating volume. Pure water loss results in hypernatremia and hypertoxicity because sodium is a membrane impermanent solute. This induces shrinkage of the osmoreceptor cells in the anterior hypothalamus, stimulating the release of the antidiuretic hormone from the posterior pituitary gland. Antidiuretic hormone promotes incorporation of water channels in the distal nephron segments, allowing increased water reabsorption. At the same time, the thirst mechanism is triggered, leading to increased water ingestion. Renal conservation of water along with increased water intake act to reverse the osmal changes brought about by the in initial water loss by restoring normal natremia. 
volume depletion, which implies an extracellular fluid volume deficit, secondary to the loss of both sodium and water. Sodium is confined into the extracellular compartment by the sodium-potassium pump in the cell membranes, which helps to hold water in the extracellular compartment. Sodium and water loss lead to a reduction in the effective circulating volume. The human body orchestrates a number of hemostatic responses to combat hypovolemia that include activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldensterone system. These are receptors in the renal afferent areolas. It also includes the stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, the aortic arch, and the carotid sinus receptors, and suppression of ANP in the atrial receptors, and the stimulation of antidiuretic hormone. All of these lead to renal conservation of both salt and water, thereby restoring normal extracellular volume. It is noteworthy that antidiuretic hormone release is stimulated in both dehydration due to hypertonicity and extracellular fluid volume depletion due to decreased effective circulating volume. Hypervolemia, or extracellular fluid excess, is described when there's an increased circulating fluid volume because of fluid shifts into the extracellular spaces. The signs and symptoms include a bounding pulse, increased blood pressure and central venous pressure, distended neck veins, dyspnea, crackles, rails, cough, headache, confusion, lethargy, muscle spasms, pitting edema, periorbital edema, weight gain, seizures, or coma. Causes for hypovolemia include excessive fluid intake, excessive hypotonic or isotonic IV fluids, heart failure, renal failure, primary polydipsia, Cushing's syndrome, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, corticosteroid use, excessive antidiuretic hormone and aldosterone release, excessive intake of sodium-containing foods, elevated serum sodium, sodium because water follows sodium. So for prevention and screening, you need to monitor for the risk factors such as cardiac, renal, and liver disease history, assess for the early signs and symptoms of fluid volume excess that can prevent complications, uh, monitor patient compliance when prescribed with diuretics and low-sodium diet for existing disease processes. Monitor electrolytes for changes in serum sodium levels. Uh, elevated sodium levels can lead to fluid retention and excessive fluid volume complications. Uh, common laboratory values with hypervolemia include a decreased bun, decreased agent H, decreased serum osmolality, decreased urine-specific gravity. Non-pharmacologic treatments, including addressing the cause of the uh, increased fluid, fluid management through monitoring of intake and output, controlled IV infusion rates, monitoring daily weight to assure weight loss is appropriate, a sodium-restricted diet, and monitoring potassium while the patient is receiving diuretic therapy. The pharmacologic treatment is going to be centering around the use of diuretics. So some, a special consideration is that close monitoring of the cardiac, renal, and pulmonary systems is necessary because of the increased workload of these systems caused by the excessive fluid present. 
The expected outcomes is that the fluid status will return to normal without disturbance of the electrolyte balance. Underlying cause will be addressed and resolved, and the skin integrity will remain intact. Possible complications of this include increased circulating volume, can increase cardiac workload and lead to cardiac failure, pulmonary edema and impaired gas exchange, peripheral edema and ascites can precipitate skin breakdown.